Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is the Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, it's Tuesday afternoon. We also have a Wednesday Bible Quest, so I have to remind us that it is Tuesday. I do that because we have the recordings later on. We want to identify the different ones. Well, rather than me just blabbering on here, let me bring the panelists in before we go too much further. Guess who's joining us again? Haven't been around for a while, but he's back with us today. How you doing, Stephen? Good to see you. Doing well, Drew. Good to see you guys again. Thanks for letting me back on the show. Oh, yeah. We're really glad to see you back here. Jonathan, how are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys today. Uh-oh. Do you hear that dog in the background? Does that come through? Just vaguely. Just okay, vaguely. good. It sounds like the neighbor's dog, so don't worry about that, it. That, that's yeah. it. I'll blame one and it's the neighbor's dog. And also, our program director, Scott Smelter, is here. Scott, how are you doing? Uh, I forgot to unmute. And <laughs> there we go. Okay, good to see you, Scott. And uh, let's see. So if every, we want to welcome everybody that's coming in uh, from the program, whether you're coming in on the Facebook page. Uh, if you're there, just use the comment box and chime in with any comments or questions. You're coming in on the Zoom app. Be sure to uh, click on the Q&A or the chat window and give us your comments and questions there. And I'm hoping we get some feedback today because we've got two very interesting, well, one topic we're going to be talking about. I'll let Scott bring them in. But they're not connected. We were talking a few minutes before the program, and we were saying, are these two things connected? No, they're not connected. But where are we going, Scott? Well, first, we're going to talk a little bit about what's uh, going on and the crisis going on and biblical principles to remember during that time. But then, unless our audience wants us to stay there and discuss that, <laughs> bring in comments and such, we want to move on to something else and get into some other uh, biblical studies. And we'll be talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, part of our series where we're looking at passages that sometimes are confusing or, or harder to figure out what it's saying. Uh, but we would like feedback from the audience. Um, if you would really like to hear more discussion of just biblical principles for a time of crisis, you can spend the whole time on it if you like. Uh, if you've been hearing about uh, the crisis in the country ad nauseum. You really don't want to hear much more about it. We'll be moving on more quickly. So we'd be very happy to hear from the audience about uh, what you would like to uh, get to. Um, but does anybody have any other thoughts before we get started on that first topic? Any other things that need to, need to be mentioned or pointed out? What crisis are you talking about, Scott? It would be the one <laughs> that has uh, frozen the country. Uh, and so, you know, let, let's uh, stop and think. During times when things are normal and we're not in crisis mode, are biblical principles important? Absolutely. Yes. For sure. During times when we are in crisis mode, those biblical principles are still important. And so let's start, let's start with this one. Matthew 7, 12. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's, it's kind of a paraphrase of the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, or at least the same point. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 7, 12? He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so on a normal nice day, everything's kind of routine. We need to do that. And when things are difficult, we need to do that. What are, give, me, give us some, everybody start sharing some examples of how it can be 
really important, helpful for us to remember in times like this to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Well, you wouldn't want to expose them to, if you are someone that's been uh, diagnosed positive, you wouldn't want to expose that to other members of your family or members of friends. Yeah. So if you want other people to be careful about their hygiene, you need to be yours. Yeah. And And the reasoning of, oh, well, I'm not in a high risk demographic, so I don't need to be so careful. Hmm. It's not going to affect me as much as it would someone else. Well, it's going to affect other people. And so thinking of other people before yourself, um, it's important to, again, to put others, put other people's first. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to kind of touch on this, I think, in a few other biblical passages. But um, one thing to, to bring out that, um, that I've noticed, uh, I think, has been pointed out by you, Scott, before, uh, that this is a very proactive command. It's, it's what you wish people would do to you, you do that to them. It's not whatever you don't wish, don't do. It's a, it's a proactive type of thing. And so looking for opportunities to you know, help people and to do things because you would want people to come and help you as well uh, in the situations that, that they're in. Um, and so just being mindful of people in general. Um, yeah. And even something as simple as this. Uh, has anybody been to the store lately try to find uh, um, either hand sanitizer or toilet paper? Uh, yes. Uh, Did you succeed? Well, I, I intentionally went to an out-of-the-way store, so I was able to find some toilet paper. But I have been at other stores and seen the empty shelves in the, the toilet paper section. Would you like to create a traffic jam and give the address of the store that still? <laughs> <laughs> I will refrain. The store <laughs> shall remain nameless to protect the innocent. So you go in and like uh, I, I went to some stores yesterday and, you know, just cleared out uh, with, with certain cleaning supplies and such. And again today, uh, and the, the cashiers are talking about people hoarding it and stuff. And so when you go in and you're able to find something, you could buy all they've got or you could do unto I others as you want now them to do unto you. Leave some for other people. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, what do you want the guy that went in the store before you to have done? <laughs> Left <laughs> some for other you. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and here's another thing. Uh, the, the, a lot of people now, you know, if you're in certain, if you're a professional quarterback, you're not playing any games. A lot of people are off work right now including some wealthy people, but a, a lot of retail, who's, who's working at Walmart, who's working at Dollar Tree, who's working at the gas station. Those people are still working because those things are needed. And they're sometimes not paid a whole lot of money, but they're there exposing themselves to the public so that we can purchase goods. And the lady at Walmart was telling me this morning that people, some people are being really rude. They come in, they're upset that there's no toilet paper. And they're saying, we know you've got some in the back. You're lying to us. Oh. And just think about And she said, uh, it's been like Black Friday. They've just been absolutely so busy and overwhelmed. Um, but she did also say, but a lot of people have said thank you. So do that. You know, just think about that. Those people are, they're out there in the public while most people are sitting somewhere away from people. 
you know, the elderly lady at Dollar Tree, you know, is handling people's money and people going right by in front of her all day for probably not a lot of money. Uh, be, be thankful to those people. Be, be kind. Other thoughts? Don't sneeze on them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't sneeze on them. Uh, if, if you know a nurse or, or a doctor, somebody that works at the hospital, they don't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to sit at home and make sure I'm not around anybody that's sick. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a hero time for those working medical professionals to recognize their heroics, I should say. Yeah. And all the people supporting those people. I'm thinking even of people who are working in like IT and technical support and things like that, that all of their work goes into the behind the scenes things that helps everything keep running. Um, and also just thinking about people who uh, neighbors, older neighbors you might have who are in a tough spot who may need someone to run to the grocery store for them um, or someone, especially if they're brethren, but, uh, but this is an opportunity to do good to all men, um, especially those of the household of faith um, as we have opportunity. Absolutely. And that, that brings up another biblical principle. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Who is, and there it's talking about people stronger in their faith and their understanding and being considered of people who have conscientious objections uh, to things that they understand are not problematic. Uh, but there's a principle there. It says the strong ought to do what? Bear with the fail. Well, my version says to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay. What's another version say? I think all three of us have the ESV, and uh -oh. yours is uh, yours is, you're the, the odd man out today. I'm the odd man out. <laughs> uh, I, I think I've got bear with the infirmities of the weak, if I remember correctly. Uh, right, so you got to be careful about that word in this context. So yeah, yeah. So. Um, if you, Stephen mentioned elderly people, if you're part of the demographic that's not as at risk and you can get out and go to the pharmacy or go get some groceries for somebody that needs to stay out of public, that's a, it's a good chance for the strong to bear the infirmity of the week. That's right. I, I just recently just heard about a sister in Christ who is doing that had sent out like kind of an email saying, Hey, if anybody needs errands run for them right now. You know, I'm not in a high risk demographic. I'm okay going out, uh, but I'm happy to, you know, to go into potentially harm's way to make sure that you've got what you need. And that's a very noble and very doable thing for those who are not in a, in as high risk of a position um, just to Jesus showed the example of washing his disciples feet. He was doing something that they needed and this is an opportunity for us to do things like that for other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And any other, what other biblical principles before we move on come to mind in a time like this? Well, all right here in Romans 14 and 15, I do think it's helpful to note that there's just going to be differences in conscience and differences in judgment that come up in these kinds of situations. And I don't want to go into any specific details, but I think that uh, it's important for, to realize that, in these situations, Christians may have different ideas about what should be done, whether it's about worship or personal decisions or whatever, and that we need to be ready to reason from Scripture when we need to do that, but also to just work with each other and be patient with each other and not judge each other 
um, when there's differences of opinion or differences of judgment. Yeah, yeah. There's a comment that came in, uh, Scott, from Karen. It says, um, are we the first Christians who are facing hardships? And obviously that's rhetorical. Of course not. We're not the first ones. And then she says, if not, what can we learn from them, especially spiritually? Oh, that's a good question. Let's start off with the first century. What were some of the hardships that Christians went through in the first century? Uh, being put on post, being burned alive by Nero. Yeah. By the way, they didn't have Charmin. You know, so <laughs> they didn't have Walmart. They didn't have Charmin. They didn't have a car to go to it in. And being burned alive. Hmm. You um, can imagine that hardship. And, and put before beasts to be torn apart. Uh, beheaded. So... What, what are some well, things we've learned? Some of the secular history that I've read about those Christians that went through that, they seem to be, and in fact, the non-believers were amazed. At, how could they be so joyous about this? They would go to face the lions with gladness on their heart, uh, on their faces, that they are honored that they can serve Christ in that way. I, I, I can't even comprehend that kind of persecution. Talk about a hardship. So I guess the spiritual thing we could learn there is that we, we don't face those kinds of hardships and look what they're gone, they've gone through. And they're able to do that because of their foundation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that's, that's reality. Right. The rest of this is not important. And for all of us, of course, you want to be careful. Don't walk in front of a truck. Uh, don't, you know, try to avoid picking up, uh, you know, a, a virus. But our, our life is but a vapor, and we're all going to die, as C.S. Lewis said, many of us in rather unpleasant ways, you know, <laughs> sooner or later. That doesn't mean don't be careful. It doesn't mean don't be considerate. Uh, but we're here for a limited time, and we're going to face hardships. And it's uh, what do we do when we face hardships, uh, and, and we need to do the right thing. Any other thoughts on that? And we realize that this is going to end. All, all things change and come and go. It's going to be painful for a lot of people or some. We don't know how many, but it, it is going to end. Right. Yeah, that's right. The perspective of the Christian has an opportunity to shine brightly when things get darker. Mm. And that's true in all sorts of ways. But it's also true with a pandemic like this, that our perspective, our attitude um, Paul talks in Philippians 2 about even just doing all things without grumbling and complaining so that you can shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The way that we carry ourselves, the way that we talk about this, the way that we treat other people can be an opportunity for the gospel in the midst of dark situations like this. That was certainly true in the first century. Uh, Peter talked to the people who were suffering and said, when they ask you about the hope that's in you, you be ready to give an answer. And that was in the context of suffering. I mean, that's mm -hmm. certainly true in an intellectual sense that we need to be ready to tell people why we believe in God and the Bible and things like that. But often what triggers that question is everybody's going through something hard, but you're dealing with it in a different way. And I want to know about what you got. Right. Was that was Peter saying there that kind of old joy if you're going to suffer too? Was it earlier on in that? Well, that's, that's James. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yep who will say, count it joy when you file into various trials, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Um, so it's 1 Peter 3.15 was the passage about 
have, be ready to give an answer for your hope. And James 1, I believe it's verse 2, that says, count it all joy when you fall out in various trials. And let's get one more biblical principle and then switch gears to something else. What does the Bible say about anxiety? Yeah, Matthew chapter 6, um, one of my favorite verses is easy to read but hard to apply in uh, situations similar to this. In Matthew 6, verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, it's really easy in situations like this to panic and become worried and anxious. And what's going to happen next? What's going to happen tomorrow? Because specifically in this situation, um, I'm sure that we all experience this where you've got, you've got something um, that's planned and a group of people that are higher up come and say, here's how it is now. And then a day later, it's totally different. And then a day later, it's totally different. And a day later, it's totally different. It keeps changing and it's going to keep changing. But what Jesus is saying here is you can you need to live in the day and deal with the problems that are here today and do what you can the best way that you can today. And when tomorrow comes, do the same thing tomorrow. <laughs> live in today. Now, that doesn't mean don't think about what's going to happen in the future. Just totally be oblivious to the future. Obviously, we need to plan. Obviously, we need to take precautions and prepare. But there's a big difference and a world of difference in preparing for something and panicking about something that you have no control over. Um, and so I'm reminded of James chapter four as well. Um, the statement that James says to say uh, in that kind of situation, um, James four and verse 13, he says, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Um, and it, it'll make a world difference in, in our personal peace that we have in our minds and how we live day to day. If we realize that, you know, there are some things that we're just not in control over, some things that are hard that we're just not in control over, but we can still trust in God. Um, and, and that'll help with our anxiety. That'll help with our panic. That'll help in just daily living. Um, Stephen. Yeah, uh, we had another comment come in from Dan on Facebook. Uh, he says, we are to live our lives in a way that our lives may be required of us at any moment. If we change the way we live our lives spiritually because of the virus, what does that say about how we were living before? Oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah, that really hits home. And sometimes that's true in moments of crisis that if we suddenly act all different, well, we we can sense how unstable our lives are right now. But the fact is at any moment, our lives could be taken from us by a virus or in some ways more likely by a car accident or the Lord can come back at any time. And so living with that reality, I mean, this goes right along with what Jonathan was just saying in James four. Um, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or do that, but we live with the constant reality of the brevity of life and these moments, these trials bring that into sharper focus. But even when this passes, as it will at some point, if the Lord allows the earth to continue, we need to keep that perspective in front of us, even after the immediate perceivable danger passes. I was thinking of what, what you were saying before, Jonathan, too, about the anxiety uh, that we're overwhelmed with things. Um, Karen was asking about, other Christians can we learn from other things of earlier Christians 
in the first century, weren't there uh, Christians who were not going to work anymore? They were just giving up on work because they thought maybe the Lord was coming back in any day. Now, that might have been the opposite of anxiety, but then that's like they're giving up. Why bother with the hardships of work when he's just going to come any minute? And Paul said, what? The man doesn't work. He shouldn't eat. So don't act that way. Don't, don't, act, don't, we don't know when he's coming back. The, the text doesn't say that that's how people were thinking. Uh, that's a, that's a conclusion a lot of people have drawn because in second Thessalonians, Paul tells some of the people you need to work. And in second Thessalonians, he tells them, uh, don't think that the day of the Lord is just right at hand. And so some people connected that together and assumed, oh, they're not working because they think the Lord's about to come back. I think that's probably incorrect. Uh, mm, interesting. Okay. Um, if you look at First Thessalonians, he's not concerned about their perception of the time of the Lord turning. He said, you know that the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So at that point in time, he's not conscious of a problem there that they're expecting something too soon. Uh, but in the first letter, he also addressed some of the lazy people and told them, get to work, mind your own business, and stop being a drain on other people. And he mentioned in both letters that he addressed that problem when he was there. So there was apparently a, a contingent within a rather strong church, but there was a group in them that just were busybodies and didn't want to work. Paul addressed it when he was there at the beginning. He addressed it again in First Thessalonians address it again in Second Thessalonians, and there just happens to also be a discussion of something else in Second Thessalonians about the Lord's coming, but it appears to me to be unrelated. Yeah, but the point would be the same, that something is motivating them in life to, to give up doing something, to give up work, and you say, no, that's wrong. And I think, I suspect it was like in Proverbs, the sluggard. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that type of thing. We've still got people today that don't want to work and want other people to pay their bills. You know, that's, there's... Yeah. That's a kind of a common thing, and that's an ungodly attitude. Uh, let's touch one more thing, and then let's get to our other topic, if we've got time here. Um, in, in not being anxious, Philippians says, you know, cast your care. Well, First Peter 5, cast your cares on God. He cares for you. Philippians 4, don't be anxious. Go to God in prayer with thanksgiving and ask your requests. Uh, and, of course, Matthew 6, not being anxious. Uh, but that doesn't mean don't be careful. Uh, so we're not going to take time to read it, but Leviticus chapter 13 has instructions. If you uh, contract leprosy, does it say, well, don't be anxious, just go walk around, you know, and head to the buffet? <laughs> no, uh, it, actually, it actually includes um, some of the principles that we've been talking about, about doing unto others, you would have them do unto you. One of the things that's stated in Leviticus 13 that was required of a leper was if you're going around and doing things and you see someone that's not a leper approaching you, you cover your mouth and cry out unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away. I have a contagious disease and I don't want to give it to you. Social um, right. Right. Scott, it also said there, I don't have the scripture, but I thought I read it where it says, and wear torn clothes. Is that for, uh, for people to observe right away from, from a distance that they see you wearing torn clothes and therefore you're, your life. I didn't get that part of it. I did. That might say that in there. And I was looking over it. I don't remember spotting it or not, but it may be in there. No, I don't want to spend much time on that one. Okay. 
Let's turn and switch gears now, and let's talk about, back to our series on uh, misunderstood texts, uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So we'll move along kind of concisely here. In Matthew chapter 12, first I'm going to read it out of context, which always makes it more difficult to understand. But Jonathan, what do you have there? Um, yeah, before we, before we move, we have one more comment that, um, that came in um, from Perry. Um, uh, he said, Dionysus wrote, most of our brothers, uh, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to in their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life. Um, serenely happy, for they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Um, that was the quote from Dionysus. And oh. so many in nursing and curing others transferred their disease, or their dead uh, death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in a manner and a number of uh, presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendations. Um, as a result of their great piety and strong faith seems in every way equal of martyrdom. Um, and it's making, making the, the same point that we've been making um, of this attitude that Christians should have with each other, kind of like what uh, Stephen brought up a while ago in Galatians chapter five or Galatians chapter six, that we're to do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith, regardless of, of you know, the difficulties it may impose on us. We're supposed to love each other. And that goes back to the first and second greatest commandment. Love God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, um, which is so important. So thanks for that, Perry. Thank you. Thank you. And we do appreciate the comments uh, to all the audience out there. We appreciate it a lot. So switching gears, Matthew chapter 12. As I said, I'm going to read this out of context, and then somebody point out what the context is. We got about 18 minutes, so we'll want to keep our comments concise. And here's the text. Jesus says, Matthew 12, 31, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in that which is to come. Now, taking that out of context without under, there's a reason for this, but if you take that out of context, you might just get a picture that here's God and here's his temperament and here's a sin over here. Well, okay, I'll forgive that. Here's a sin over there. Nope, <laughs> that, that just really irritates me. Um, and so let's start getting a bit of context here. What was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that just happened? Well, back well what did just happen? Well, go ahead, Stephen. Backing up to verse 22 of Matthew 12, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And so that's the context is this miracle that Jesus has just performed by the power of the Holy Spirit but the Pharisees are looking at a true miracle by the Holy Spirit and saying, that's not the Holy Spirit of God. That's the power of Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. So Nicodemus, what does Nicodemus say to Jesus in John 3, 1 concerning the miracles Jesus did? No one can do these things yeah, unless they have been sent from the Father. And these people react to the miracles by saying, it's done by Satan. Satan. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, what's Jesus going to do? Do another miracle? Yeah, that's not yeah. going to be. There's no further proof, which is which is actually really interesting because later um, in the story they ask, "Well, what sign are you going to do?" In verse 38 of chapter 12, they say, "Teachers, we wish to, to we wish to see a sign from you." And he he answered, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah." It just just a couple of paragraphs before they had seen a sign and attributed it to Satan. What good would another miracle do for them? And uh, and Jesus, let's notice who Jesus said. We've mentioned it, but let's be sure to read it from the text. After they accuse him of doing it by Beelzebub, in verse 27, Jesus points out, no, this is not by Beelzebub. Verse 28, who does Jesus say the miracle was done through? By the Spirit of God. Yeah. So his miracle was done by the Spirit. Um, Acts chapter 10, I think, also shows us that Jesus's miracles were done through the power of the Holy Spirit. To me, that fits, and I don't want to get on a big tangent on this, but it fits the idea that Jesus emptied himself, not that something was taken from him, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, and being a servant, he's dependent. Throughout uh, John, he emphasizes his dependence, his dependence, uh, his words. He said they're from the Father. The works are from the Father. The, the miracles here done by the Spirit. Somebody read, please, or I've got it, Acts 10, 38. Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good, healing all those oppressed of the devil. Uh, so if if Paul and Peter are going to need to depend on the Father and, and depend on the Spirit, Jesus depends on the Father and uses the power of the Spirit as these evidences. So let's let's touch on this. Um, what do we know about uh, what what is Second Peter three nine or nine and ten tell us about God's attitude toward forgiveness and God's attitude towards repentance? It's the will of God that no one would pe that perish, no one would perish, but all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, it doesn't say it's the will of God that if you did a certain sin, yes, you perish, even if you repent. Mm -hmm. It's his will that we not perish, but he's waiting for us to, to repent. Yeah, and the fact is there are some sins that uh, by the nature of them, they're not going to lead to repentance. Uh, and let's see how it works with that. Um, so 2 Corinthians 7. This is where Paul's talking about the hard letter that he wrote to them and they've repented. He said in 2 Corinthians 7, there's two kinds of sorrow in this world. What are the two kinds of sorrow? Godly, Godly sorrow. sorrow. Worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow. Yeah. And worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance which leads to which life leads to yeah so let's look at the sequence there godly sorrow leads to repentance repentance leads to salvation salvation has to be preceded by repentance uh, acts 238 repent and be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins acts 3 repent that your sins might be blotted out second peter 3 um god's not wishing that any should perish but that all would repent Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you'll perish. But what needs to precede repentance? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. And what is going to precede godly sorrow? Faith. Mm -hmm. What produces faith? 
the word of God. Hearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hearing and seeing hearing. evidence. Yeah, hearing and seeing evidence. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but does, wouldn't you say that the two primary, two of the, I'll do it this way, two of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament are revelation and evidence. Yep. Yep. So let's consider John 5.31. In John 5.31, Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, what? It's not true. Yeah, it's not true. He said, don't just believe something because I say it. Instead, he said, look at the evidence. And he gives three lines of evidence there. He said, first, look at the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, John the Baptist who from Luke 1 came in the, uh, would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And as Jesus said, he was a prophet. So there's an outline of evidence. And who's behind it? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What's the next line of evidence he gives? The miracles that he performs. Yeah. And as we've just seen from Matthew 12, he said, I did that miracle by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then the third avenue of evidence he gives is? Of the scriptures. scriptures. Yeah. In 2 Peter, uh, is it one twenty one? The prophecies of scripture came by the? Spirit. Yeah. So how would you have the ability to believe in Jesus without the evidence and revelation of the Holy Spirit? According to Jesus, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's the doorway to get to Jesus. That's the, that's how you find Jesus through the revelation. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit, if, if, if the spirit of him that raised up Christ uh, had not raised him from the dead, if he, if he had not, uh, if the Holy Spirit had not fallen on the day of Pentecost, if the Holy Spirit had not inspired the apostles, if we never heard of Jesus, would we know to repent and turn to him? No. no. Mm -hmm. And while Jesus was there, he did miracles so that people would have a reason to believe. But these particular people took their, their response to the miracle was, well, he did it's that. Not, yeah. So what can you do for those people? As long as they remain in that mindset, there's nothing you can do for them. Right, right. Because if they're not going to believe, then they're not going to have godly sorrow about it. And if they're not going to have godly sorrow, they're not going to repent. And if they're not going to repent, what are they never going to have? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, true. You, yeah, you added the word if. So, you're not, so we're not saying that they couldn't repent. The scriptures are not teaching that it's impossible for them to repent, right? Uh, it doesn't say you can't repent. I mean, it says you're not going to be forgiven. And when we look at what they did, they took the evidence and chose to reject it. Mm. And there's, there's, there's not, if you reject belief in Christ after being presented with the evidence, what you know, what else is somebody going to do for you? It's kind of like there's an island over there that's believing in Jesus. The bridge is the Holy Spirit. If you blow up the bridge because you said it's from Satan, you're not, you're not getting over there. Let's illustrate it from John chapter 1. Um, I wouldn't normally call this blasphemy, but what does the word blaspheme mean technically? Against? Yeah, to speak against. So 
Uh, you remember when Jesus said here, you can speak against the Son of Man and be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. Let's compare it to Philip and Nathaniel. Philip has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he runs to his friend Nathaniel. And what does Philip say? Let's turn over there to that passage. Yeah, it's John chapter 1, verse 45. Um, Philip, Philip had found Nathaniel, and he said to him, We have found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, would you say he was complimenting Jesus? No, he was not. That's, that's clearly speaking against Jesus. Maybe yeah. not a, a particularly egregious blasphemy, but a blasphemy still. And can you see how we might have done the same thing? Imagine the four of us are in a village and some guys say, hey, and it, maybe there's been Thutis before and Judas before and other people come along and say, and, and some foolish people go out and follow them. They all get wiped out. And now somebody comes to town and says, hey, 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 there's a new prophet. He's Jesus from Nazareth. What might all four of us do? Be pretty skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. And we might say, he's another false prophet. You know, he's, he's after your money. You know, he's got delusions of grandeur. And that, and that would have been blasphemy. Does that mean there's no hope for us? No. No, and in fact, Philip, he continues, and he doesn't say, oh, sorry, you're out, you messed up. Instead, <laughs> yeah. he, says, instead he says, come and see, look for yourself and find out. And so that's what Nathaniel does. And he comes in contact with Jesus, and Jesus says to him in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael says, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathanael is speaking differently about Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And so when evidence. presented with the evidence, when he sees the evidence, which is not really, really great evidence. I think Jesus kind of says that, you know, just because I saw you that you're going to believe you're going to see greater things than those. But at this little bit of evidence, Nathaniel realizes, oh, this is the son of God. Um, and he makes that big change. So we're in a village and the four of us have heard Jesus is coming and we react like Nathaniel or even more strongly in saying, oh, I've heard about this case. And we might call him a liar. We might call him a false prophet, but he comes to town and here's our friend that's dead or blind or crippled or, or, or mute and deaf. And Jesus heals him just like that. Jonathan and Stephen look at that and they, they react like Nicodemus did logically and say what? Guys, yeah, got to be from God. Yeah. And then you start listen, looking further and listening to what he says. Drew and I say, did it. Ain't no hope for us then. Yeah, we've rejected the road to belief. If you never take the road to belief, you're not going to be on the road to repentance. If you're not on the road to repentance, you'll never be on the road to salvation. And so that's, it's not that God's touchy about the Holy Spirit, but not touchy about Jesus. It's, yeah. It's, he is the it is the entry path that delivers evidence and revelation so that we can believe in Jesus. You reject that. And, and here's, I'll just say this real quick, and then uh, I'll have nothing more to say. I want to give you guys a time to make whatever comments you make. But suppose you were studying with somebody, 
and they said, I believe that Bible is just written by men and it's a bunch of myths and things like that. Well, they're speaking against it, but then you start studying it with them and you study and you study and they start saying, wow, these are some really amazing things in here. And they start seeing some prophecies and some foreshadowing. They say, wow, that's really remarkable. And they look at some more things and they say, you know, I don't think that this is just a product of men's imagination. They say, oh, good. I say, I don't, I don't think you could, you could, I don't think man could have come up with this on his own. Good, good, good. And I'd say, and, and you think maybe they're at the point of belief and they say, I think the devil wrote that book. Oh, I thought you were going in the right direction there for a minute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now what are you going to do with me? I said, look, look at these prophecies the devil put in there and then made it come true to make you think that, look at it. Look at uh, all these things that make you think it might be valid. Obviously, the devil wrote it. That's blasphemy against the Spirit. And Jesus says here, after he says this to them in Matthew 12, he said, you being evil, how can you speak good things? Mm -hmm. no, it's out of your mouth that the, the treasure of your heart comes forth. If you're that depraved in your heart that you would rather believe it's from the devil, uh, that's your choice. You know, Scott, I thought you were going, last week we had uh, Carl Ballard on the show as a, as a, a guest. We did an interview with him. He was of that mindset. He was, he, he claimed early on in his life, oh, the book is made up and, and it, it's a fantasy. It's a myth. It's not true. And he set out to prove to, at that time, I think it was a girlfriend he was interested in, to prove to her that this was a book of lies. And he went into it and he started going down the limit. This, this goes against my worldview. This is not, but he didn't look at it and say, well, this is by the devil. He started recognizing this is the word of God changed his life. So yeah. he was forgiven of that earlier worldview that yeah. he had. Yeah. Stephen, Jonathan. So um, this is a question or go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, sorry. I was uh, responding to a message. Um, I, I've heard in this passage and talking about the, the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've talked with people before who, who ha have kind of approached it from the mindset of thinking like that they read this and think, oh no, <laughs> I think I've done this before. <laughs> um, mm. and, and, and then they're kind of like, great, you know, I, I'll never be forgiven of this. And, and as we've been discussing, that kind of misses the whole point, I think, of, of what we've been talking about. And like we've stated before, what we understand about the character of God, God does not wish that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And there may have been a time where you've seen the evidence, you've been acquainted with the evidence and decided, no, I don't want that. If that changes, God is not going to turn you away and say, sorry, 20 years ago, you rejected the evidence and now you can't come. That, that's not the point of what Jesus is saying, which I think we've made really clear. There's not a specific sin that's being talked about um, that you're guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit once one strike and you're out. Um, this is the mindset in the heart, like what Jesus says in the further context, like what Scott brought up, that, that your heart, how can you who are evil speak good? When you're totally rejecting the avenue, you're not going to be able to arrive at the destination that you want. Um, and when Thomas doubts, he's not, you're out, you should have believed it, you know, and you shouldn't have doubted, and, and you can't be forgiven, you're out. No, more evidence given to believe. Stephen. Yeah. Would you connect this passage with 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 16 and 17, and with the sin leading to death? I know some people 
uh, try to connect these two passages and say, oh, this is the sin leading to death or not leading to death? Yeah, I would not specifically. Uh, I mean, they're both dealing with unrepentant sin. But uh, in fact, that was when we started this series, that's the passage we started with. And uh, I, I think it's a bit of a uh, maybe convenience factor. If you got two passages, you don't know what they mean to say, what's Matthew 12? First John 5. What's first John 5? Matthew 12. First, first John 5 is talking about sin among Christians, but where it's, it, it's unrepented of. Uh, back in John 1, 6, uh, the fellow that says he has fellowship, but he's walking in darkness. That leads to death. The fellow that walks in the light and confesses his sins, is 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 forgiven, uh, and we we compared it to some other passages as well. So there's something in common, but neither of them is to be simply answered as saying it is the, the thing of the other passage. Yeah, we're we're just about out of time, and I, I want to just uh, remind everyone we we mentioned about two things we talked about in the last few weeks. If you hadn't had the opportunity to hear those uh, those talk shows go to BibleQuest.tv and just scroll down or go click on the link that says podcast and recordings. And on that page, you'll see all of the previous recordings and you can pick up on those very topics that we just brought up. Uh, Scott, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, was there anything else we're going here? You... Um, we've got one more comment. Maybe we can address this really quickly um, from sure. Lori. Uh, it says, I think it's a good way to think about how anyone can blaspheme uh, in a way, in parentheses, um, with our lives. And she quotes from Titus 1, verse 16, which says, they profess to know God, but in works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Uh, it's sobering for everyone, including those who say they believe in God. Um, can we comment on the validity of that idea or, or what thoughts does that bring to your all's mind? Yeah, I, th I think that's right, that we can blaspheme by saying we don't believe in a, a, a larger sense, and that's what Matthew 12 is addressing. But just on the comment of blasphemy, I do think it's possible for our lives to speak ill of Christ. This is one of the most common objections to Christianity, right? Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. And Paul will say in places like Romans 1, to the Jews, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And because of their bad example and their living hypocritically, God's name was being blasphemed specifically. I believe that's in Romans chapter 2 that he says that. Yeah. Um, and so we need to uh, live consistent with the message. Otherwise, that can become, in a sense, a form of blasphemy. And avoid this thinking. Oh, well, this is a sin I can be forgiven of, so I'll go ahead. Yeah. No, it, it's... Uh, uh, We've got an obligation and a duty. The Bible is full of people that sinned. Paul was the chiefest of sinners. That didn't mean he should keep on having Christians persecuted and put to death. They had to stop. Peter denies Jesus. That doesn't mean he's to keep denying him. That needs to stop. Let us be thankful for mercy, but not use mercy as an excuse for disobedience. Thank you, everybody. All right, I guess that brings us to a close. Um, thank you all for the comments. Uh, if you guys have any other questions, like we said, we're going through this um, series here 
kind of a mini series of going through difficult Bible texts, and we've been kind of picking them um, in different conversations that we've had and, and instances that we've had um, personally. But if you have a particular Bible text or something that you find difficult or have a question on, um, you can send us a message about that at BibleQuest TV or uh, comment on one of our Facebooks or send us a personal message, and we'd be happy to uh, address that on a, a show or talk with you personally about that. But I guess that will bring us to a close, uh, and we'll see you all, hopefully, Lord willing, next Tuesday.